You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the madness that is the Mini Market Pod. I'm Dalton here with Connor, Lucas, and Isaiah. It is March Madness, and we are ready to go. Fellas, how are we doing? March 21st, middle of the madness. We're back in action. Uh, the podcast is back. Uh, it's a, It feels like an early Sunday morning for the group, so uh, we really got to pick the energy and get rocking here, but uh, it's hard not to get excited when March Madness is uh, is on the schedule for later today and had a few uh, a few days of it in the first round there and excited to see where everything goes and uh, kind of catch up on the Minnesota sports scene. I think my brain has turned to mush from the amount of basketball I've watched in the last week, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, the, the amount of screens that I have had in front of me since Thursday is just, it's not healthy. But, you know, I think we're all in the same boat there, so. I think now would be an awesome time for our first ad if we had one. It'd be a yeah. good time for like a field quack blue light glasses, but we don't have one. So, yeah. So we'll edit that part out or beep it out. But, uh, <laughs> anyone wants to Venmo us? I mean, I'll say, yeah, we'd like to put that out for, there. For if money. you want to Venmo us, you can put your own ad on here. We can negotiate prices on the side. But one thing I will say is it's always fun to see like pictures and stuff come out of different people's setups for March Madness. Like some people got like the five monitors, like at home, those, the, like their personal home setups. Those are always a treat. Last night I was over to a friend's house and he had like legit five TVs going and we were like kind of sitting around a table. And so like same games were on on different sides of the screen. And you just felt like it was like the perfect setup for a really hard old gamer to start going at it. So that's always kind of the fun thing about March Madness is trying to get as many games on at one time as you can. And then like with two minutes to go, you throw the big game on the, or you throw the game on the big mm-hmm. TV that's coming down the wire. That's a tradition unlike any other there. It's really beautiful because you only actually watch like the last two minutes of any game. Because when there's five games on, you can't pay attention to anything that's happening. And uh, my brain just ends up watching the commercials on all f- like four of the screens at once. And I miss all the basketball until it's crunch time. It's kind of weird that during March Madness, I we flip back and forth so much between games, and typically I like I hate channels like flipping so much, but like you, it's just you're always glued to the ticker on the top or the bottom or wherever the scores are. It's like oh, this game's you know an eight point game. Let's go to that one. It's only three points, so there's two minutes left in that one, and it's just kind of of a, a, a weird. I don't know what I don't know how to explain it. It's just the madness. You're an anti-flipper? What does that mean? When are, when are people no, flipping should... channels? When are you against that? Like going from Bachelor to like the evening news and back and forth? or? Yeah, I mean, I like to just, I like to pick one and, and stay in my lane usually. But Personally, I am an anti-commercials guy. I am a channel surfer. I will, I will watch horrible movies with the option or with the other option being watching the commercials between my show. I will flip over to like the worst movies that TNT has to offer and watch that for like two minutes just so I don't have to watch commercials. So I'm the polar opposite of that, Lucas, where I'm like, I am not sticking on a channel if I have to watch any more, I don't know, insert commercial here, basically. And Connor, you're a pro. I've watched TV with you. You are, you never miss when it's time to flip back. You have like an innate sense that your show is about to come back on and you just know when to flip. It's pretty impressive. It's fun to watch. Thank you. Appreciate that. And if if there is really nothing else on, I will mute it and go on my phone. Like I am so anti-commercial. So that's why the Super Bowl is always funny because I'm like a huge sucker for commercials. I found this out over the years too, where like if I actually watch them, which I try not to, I'm like, oh, that sounds good right now. Like yesterday, there were so many B-dubs commercials. Guess what I had for dinner? Yeah, you got it. B-dubs. I was like, well, I am a sucker for commercials. So that's probably where this all stems from. Is I just I, they got me too. I can't handle it. You had B-dubs last night? Yeah, oh, they yes. got me. <laughs> Let's go. They had so many commercials. It was unbelievable. Minnesota company just representing our 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 state. <laughs> so the gophers obviously aren't in the tourney, but they're having a little bit of madness of their own. So I think it was after our last podcast that Richard Patino was fired. And since then, 
a mass exodus. Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Marcus Carr both in the transfer portal. Hopefully they're the only two, but even so, that's like a huge loss for the program and whoever the incoming coach is going to be. I think that that impacts the um, that impacts the job as far as the quality of the job because two of your leaders now are out. The cupboard's pretty bare next year. So that's that's a tough break. Yeah, I will say golfers. one other person, like the first person to enter the transfer transfer portal was uh, Jarvis Omersa, who's like a big who came off the bench, didn't play a lot, but apparently the dude's a high right, highlight reel, waiting to uh, waiting to dunk. So I've heard he's a big slamma jamma guy, which is always fun. But yeah, that's a huge huge loss. I did see some um, to look at it from a comedic standpoint. I saw some funny memes. Like, have you were you guys fresh Prince of Bel Air watchers at all? You know when like the show oh, yeah. ends. And Will Smith is like sitting in the room and like, I feel like if you were a real, like watch the show religiously, you probably cried when that episode came out. Personally, we were a little young for that. So I didn't, but um, I saw a bunch of really funny me or not memes, but gifts of it's like Gabe Kelsher looking around the locker room and it's like the Will Smith uh, end of the end of the not even season, but the show basically. And I got a good chuckle out of that, but it is extremely alarming. Um, one name I'd like to throw out there is Chet Holmgren's dad. I feel like he could be a good hire. If nothing else, just a one-year deal. That's kind of something I've, I'm floating around in the head. I, no real reason. Just seems like he'd be a quality candidate. Um, and I feel like he could keep people in the state. That's kind of one of my theories is he would be really good at like keeping top, like really top and like maybe the toppest end recruits in the state short term. So I think that could be an option at one point. Mr. Holmgren, if you're out there, if I was the AD, you could have a job. Connor, I love your your takes. Last week was just hire the mini haha coach, and this week it's just get Chet Holmgren's dad, whoever they are. I loved also last week you just made up a name for the coach, and you didn't take a stab at the dad's name this time. But I'm excited to see. What you think next week it's gonna be gonna be the next best option. I think next week. Next week it's gonna be player coach Chet Holg Chet Holm. I, I did see that on Twitter. Like uh, one of the accounts was offering up, "Hey, uh, who should be the next coach?" And there was like all these serious people saying, "You know, Shaka Smart, uh, Muscleman, uh, Dutcher from from uh, SDSU." And then like one guy was like, "Chet Holmgren, player coach?" Question mark. And I was like, honestly, at this point, what's 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 it gonna Try hurt? Something. The dicey situation there is the money. Can you get paid for being a coach? It could be a loophole in the future. If you can get paid for being a coach, just offer certain players assistant coaching jobs, then you can pay them. There's the loophole, Duke. You're welcome. Now you can pay your people above board. Okay, so any serious suggestions on who we think the Ghosts might grab as their next head coach? I have heard one like tiny rumor of maybe John Beeline. But that's kind of kind of weird because I think he came up as like a potential Timberwolves coach option too. So he's just kind of going. He's just kind of that option for any job that's out there. Like they just have to throw his name in the hat. Like, hey, he was a he was a coach at one point. <laughs> he's out there. Hey, I mean, he took Michigan successful. to the Final Four, so he was a successful college coach. Absolute train wreck in the pros, but at the college level. That wouldn't be a bad choice. I also heard Sam Mitchell, former Timberwolves coach. He is interested in the job. He has no college coaching experience as far as head coaching. He did help Penny Hardaway at Michigan. Uh, Penny, or excuse me, Memphis. Scandal. Um, at, when Penny first went to Memphis, Sam Mitchell was an assistant there for one year. And that was when they had like, an elite recruiting class. So he's... He has some experience, at least on like how the recruitment works, but he doesn't really have any connections in the state of Minnesota. So as far as keeping people home, he, he'd have to sort of establish a, a connection with like high school coaches and things like that. But that's kind of an interesting, interesting route. He's a former pro, former NBA coach. He seems to be well-respected. So that would be kind of a fun route. It's sort of a high risk, high reward option. There are some Timberwolves fans that wish Sam Mitchell never left. Uh, I think hiring him would be kind of like a Herm Edwards type vibe, you know, just yeah. start fresh in the Get college a good slate. Program going. 
one other name I saw was Brian Dutcher. He's the SDS or San Diego State coach. He's actually um, a graduate of the U of M. And so that's kind of why he makes a lot of sense. He's been at San Diego State since like 1999. Apparently, I don't really know the backstory, but he was the associate head coach for like 19 years. Stuck around for a while on that one. And then in 2017 became the head coach. And they've been like 96 and 31 since taking over and won the, the Mountain West twice. So he seems like a good a good hire. They obviously just lost out in the tournament yesterday, I believe. But yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's got some good recruits. I think people are always looking for um, individuals who are tied to Minnesota or to the U of M somehow, some way. His dad was a former Gophers head coach back in the mm-hmm. day. So if, in Dutcher's contract, it's like a $6 million buyout everywhere except the U of M. The U of M buyout's like $1 million for San Diego State. It's basically his dream job. That's how I would interpret that as far as there's one school on the entire nation where your buyout's less than the rest i did see the san diego state like beat writer like wrote an article basically being like minnesota he doesn't want to come home so i'm not sure what that's all about i read the article it was basically like he's got the dream life like he can do whatever he wants here the salary's good he's living in san diego um you know classic major market versus mini market there but um you know that's got layers on it by the way but yeah so basically they were saying he just doesn't like his he's happy to live in san diego for the rest of his time so we'll see is that like us being like cat cat never wants to leave cat's gonna stay here forever (laughs) he can do whatever he wants here and then two years he's like nah i'm out it could very well be speaking of cat Ike, your Wolves are looking like a competent NBA squad. Three and three in the first six games coming out of the break with splits against the Phoenix Suns and the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, oh. What do you have to say? You got to be feeling good. Dude, okay. I mean, it's just, it's fun to have a little bit of success every once in a while. And this, it's just, it's been a good week, you know. Uh, On the road to 20 wins, it's a good start. When you're going 500 against two definite playoff teams in the West, and the Suns are a really good team, um, and you know what? It's been a two-man game, two-man show. That's what's taken them there. Uh, Ant and Cat are just looking like a really legit combo. Um, Robert Ori had a fun little tweet. He called Cat and Ant a mini Shaq and Kobe. Whoa, it's aggressive. If that doesn't, you know, get you at least a little bit excited, you're probably already dead because <laughs> inside at sweet. least that's sweet. I mean, and and obviously that's not going to happen because Shaq and Kobe are like two of the all time greatest players. But I like the mini version, just a mini Shaq and Kobe. And then it had me thinking, like, what's a good nickname for the like Carl Anthony and uh, Anthony Edwards? duo and i got to can't well that's where i was going the slogan is don't tell us we can't Ooh. oh i like that can't stop us now here we go that one's really good too lou yeah <laughs> yeah this so the suns game the, the first suns game was probably one of the best games just like from a fan's perspective just to watch all year long like it was a good game um Went down to the stretch. Wolves were down at half, came back. Big second half. Fourth quarter was all Edwards, all town. I mean, the whole game was all Edwards, all towns. 41 for towns, 42 for Edwards. Um, they like went toe to toe with two, like just a, a really good team and they won. So, I mean, that was just a really fun game. I think something to call out there, Dalton, you men- mentioned that the Wolves have some legitimate coaching now. Um, there was a play near the end of the game. It was a two-point game. Wolves had the ball five seconds to play. They ran an inbounds play where Chris Finch basically used Edwards and Anthony as decoys to spring Wancho basically untouched for a um, a layup off a side inbounds play. Got that, got a dunk, got fouled, missed the free throw, but it put the Wolves up four um, and basically sealed the game. So, I mean, it was just a genius play, and it was, it was really good to see because under um saunders the wolves 
were like one of the worst teams out of set plays. Like they just did not run good inbounds plays. Um, they rarely found buckets out of them and, and never found anything as open as they saw uh, with that one show play. So I think that's just a, a good sign of his coaching pedigree and the way that he uh, conceives an offense. I think another really good sign of uh, Finch being a good coach is guys like uh, Noel, just like lighting it up. He's been electric since Beasley went down. He's averaging over 14 points and he's shooting 50% from three. And when you watch, he's wide open. Like he, the offense is moving in a way to get shooters like really good looks instead of just shooting, which is what the Wolves were doing um, these last, like with Saunders, they were just, they like had a, had a mark that they needed to hit in terms of threes. And they were just going to get there by hook or by crook. And now they're like, okay, we're going to shoot open threes and we're going to make open, like create opportunities for guys. I think that's been really good. And then to see Okogi, like actually um, having a pulse, on the team, I think is a really good sign too. He's, he's become less stand in the corner and then go play defense um, where he's, he's getting a little bit more of an active role on offense. I mean, he's still not a great player offensively, but um, him slashing is more exciting than him standing in the corner for sure. I think it's just been really fun to watch Anthony Edwards. And ever since the all-star break, he's just been, unreal he scored over 20 points in all the all five games he had 42 in one game also he's eclipsed the 30 point mark twice now shout out to those of us who took the over woo woo. but i have a little theory that he really doesn't want the lottery pick so he's gonna try and win as many games as he can this year because he doesn't want even a whisper of someone else getting a lot like us getting the lottery pick and then someone else coming in and taking this team from him. He wants the reins. He wants to drive the car. I say let him do it. Win as many as possible. Don't get the lottery pick. We don't want the pick. Can't is the future. A slight like spin that. off of that is sometimes drafting stressful. And um, sometimes you just don't need the extra stress. You're just happy to be like, we got the guys we're running with the wolves we got and uh and i don't need the stress of of having all this like who do i pick at number three number two number one let's get rid of it let's mortgage all of them let's get rid of all those picks let's bring in young guys we want right now we see them they're qualified mortgage the future win now playoffs this year let's go (laughs) baby oh oh i mean hey nothing's impossible we're at double digit wins now for the wolves did not think that was going to happen, honestly. All year. Oh, let's just address that. You didn't think they were going to double digits For a while there, it was pretty. It was <laughs> Stumble pretty into bad. 11 it wins? It was pretty bad for a while. So <laughs> I was pretty skeptical. It is exciting to see them winning, though, without um, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. Like, say what you want about those guys, but that's where half the salary cap is going, and they're able to compete with guys in the starting lineup like Akogi. Akogi's been starting or Vanderbilt or McDaniels. Like a lot of the other starters are probably more like sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth men on normal NBA teams and they've been starting, but that hasn't stopped the Wolves. They've been competitive. I'm excited to see what Finch does once he has the full lineup. I mean, I think right now people are very low on D'Angelo Russell because the Wolves are doing all right without him, but it's going to be more offensive firepower for the Wolves and I believe in Chris Finch, so it's going to be fun to watch. I think the D'Angelo thing is exacerbated a little bit by like the resurgence in Rubio's game recently. Um, and that's another point for Finch, I think, because of how well Rubio's playing. But uh, I was looking at it, and since Rubio, or excuse me, since Russell went out, Rubio has like significantly improved his play. On the season, Rubio's averaging eight points. He's shooting 36% from the field, 22% from three. He's got six assists per game and almost two turnovers. So not great. Not exactly what we had hoped we'd get from him. Um, But since Russell went out, Rubio's averaging 12 points. He's shooting 43% from the field. He's shooting 33% from three on nearly four attempts. And he's averaging seven over seven and a half assists. And his turnover numbers have gone down as well. So he's, his play has significantly improved since Russell went out. And it's starting to feel like it, 
are they going to have to make a choice? And is the choice not as obvious as it once seemed? Like, is Rubio potentially better given the tools that we have around us? So is Ant and Cat look great in the pick and roll? And then you have Beasley, who's really good on the catch and shoot. So do you want a point guard who's going to put the air out of the ball? Or do you want a guy who's going to facilitate a little bit? So he's making a case for himself. And then he also has this love affair, like I talked about last week with Anthony Edwards. It just keeps getting, you know, more and more uh, embellished and like, they really it's do. Steamy. They like they like each other. Like they're and it's. I think that's value to Rubio beyond like. Don't talk about his contract. Don't talk about like what you could get back for him. Like his leadership and his willingness to be a mentor and help develop Anthony Edwards' game is wildly important to this franchise because nothing that you can get back for Rubio is going to be more important than a well-developed Anthony Edwards going forward. So I think on that alone, you might feel like, hey, we're not going to trade him because of the intangibles that he's bringing to this team. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting too, because um, recently, I think right, right after he pretty much made that statement of like, you guys remember that he made, I think he made that statement where it was like, there's no vision. Like, what are we doing here? Like, basically there's no direction for this team. It's just chaos. And like, there's no structure and we can't win like this. And then, they hire Finch and then he basically starts being productive, which it's like, it kind of, it kind of tells you something about maybe it wasn't Rubio. Like, I feel like we were kind of, other than Isaiah, we were all pretty down on Rubio early. We we're like, well, that was a crappy player to bring back. But over the course of the last few games, he's kind of shown that he's, he can still be the player, maybe not the player he once was, but he can still be a pretty solid contributor to the, to the lineup. Yeah, I'll put my hand up. I, I wrote the Ricky Rubio trade piece on uh, tellingsports.com. And I think I'm with Isaiah. Like right now, I don't think I would trade him. I think you keep him around. Ant really likes him. He's a leader for Ant. He's helping develop Ant. And he's a point guard who fits well with two guys who need a lot of shots. Cat and Ant took, what, almost 60 shots the other night when they both put up 40 apiece. So it's nice to have a point guard who's pass first because when Russell comes back, Russell is going to want to get his and those shots are going to need to come from somewhere and it's probably going to be cat and ant. So is that a, is that a net positive or net negative? I don't know. I guess we'll see how Chris Finch utilizes D'Lo. And one last thing on Rubio is he, he's like a crafty scorer and a smart scorer when he needs to be. So in that second Suns game, Anthony Edwards did not have it whatsoever. Um, he was fairly broke from the field. And Rubio put up 21 on seven of nine shooting. So he can step in a little bit when he needs to. He's not as um, useless offensively as people think he is. All right, that was some good Wolves talk. Some positive Wolves talk. Hey, I'm feeling good, baby. The Howlometer is like just, just starting to pick up from the red zone up back towards the green zone maybe maybe we're flirting with yellow right now we're coming up we're coming up did anybody see the stuff on like the aaron gordon trade like they were talking um orlando was asking like a legit like young player and a first round pick so do you think the wolves are kind of out of that situation me being that we don't have a first round pick this year to trade it'd probably take a future pick Okay. Would you do a future pick in Jared Culver for Aaron Gordon? It feels steep. I saw a stat that Jared Culver is averaging 0.12 points per possession when he's coming out of the pick and roll, which is dead last in the NBA. Average players average like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. Jalen Noel's toward the top of the distribution with like 1.2 points per game. Jared Culver averages 0. 0.12 points per possession. He's run 22 pick and rolls this year and he scored one time <laughs> he looks so like lost uh, on the court when you watch him he looks like like you put a kid into a basketball game who like just has never played and was like did, nobody told him the rules or like anything like the way he like looks at the ball and like it's scary to watch that brings me to a point on trade because it's the trade deadline this week i'm calling this the mick pick three Josh Okogi, Jake Lehman, Jared Culver, Ed Davis, Juancho, Aaron Gomez. Pick three to trade. Who are you picking? 
the Mick pick three. I saw. Uh, I like did you it. guys see the thing on Twitter that was going around? It was some Monster guy for pending. like, um, some Rand College in uh, it was in a conference tournament, and the player came out and he was wearing number forty four, and they're like, he has an interesting story why he wears forty four. He always liked yeah. the Wendy's four for four <laughs> meal. <laughs> I can get behind that. That is a hell of a deal, Wendy's. I think the three I would want to trade are Okogi, Culver, and Ed Davis. So we'd keep Lamin and Hernan Gomez. Davis, first of all, doesn't really play. So I'm, I don't even think that really changes much getting rid of him. Okogi, he's just too much of an offensive liability. And honestly, when you watch him sometimes on defense, he has a ton of energy, but it feels like he doesn't always know what he's doing. He's just like running around causing havoc, which is good because the wolves have nobody. So he just, he looks great relative to everyone else. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know if he's actually that good of a defender. Uh, and then Culver is just an absolute train wreck. I mean, if someone wants to take him for free, I'd give him away. Just get the salary off the books. Oof, that has got to sting when, when people are willing to just give you up for free. Oh, Especially as a as a top ten pick, rough. I would I'm gonna go with uh, the Butterburger Machine Culvers, um, and then I'll go with Okogi because he he just feels like he does nothing offensively. So, and I mean maybe he does more than I know personally um, on the defensive end, and like it's really valuable, but it's just really hard to to quantify that for me. And then the last one I'm going. Gomez because him and Lehman kind of have like similar stat lines. And so I think if we get rid of one of them, we could get some value for it. And then the other one just maybe, you know, plays a few more minutes here, even though they are different positions for the record. But uh, I'm going to go Culver as well. It's got to go. Uh, Wancho is going to go since, kind of what you were saying Connor and then Ed Davis I want to keep a Kogi just because um you just like you said he flies around he's you know he's like a chicken with his head cut off sometimes but it just you know it reminds me he's doing all his his younger coaches used to tell him doesn't matter if you make a mistake going 100 miles an hour we're not going to be upset so as long as he's giving it his all I'm happy he's out there he's trying baby he's trying he's my guy not actually but It'd help if he made some shots, but <laughs> that's two comparisons to youth basketball in the group there with uh, Isaiah doing uh, Jarrett Culver dirty, and then uh, Lucas goes and uh, does it right over to Okogi, but kind of in a good way, a little bit. Hard to tell. What about you, Isaiah? I think I'm going to go, I would go Layman, Culver, and Okogi. And then I would cut it at Davis at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> the Nick pick too turns into the let's get rid of clean house. Yeah, I just think uh, Koki, Lehman, and Culver might get you the most back. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't think you're going to get anything for Ed Davis who hasn't played this year. So the mini market pod, America's number one Randy Dobnak podcast and America's dead last Jared Culver <laughs> podcast. Also, don't look now, but my f- Illinois is down 11. I I did, and I was uh, kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah, I'm sweaty. That's gonna is, it, is it Wisconsin? Who are they playing? Illinois. Loyola, yeah. Oh, right. It's Loyola. the Battle of yeah, Illinois. I am absolutely sweaty right now. They look awful. They're trying to force so many shots. Hey, from a gambling standpoint, uh, Illinois is a plus 185. Seems like a good time to take them. And now we're moving on, bringing back player parallels. This segment, each of us is going to give a player from a given era for a given team that we are similar to for one reason or another. And this week, we're looking at 2000s Minnesota Timberwolves. Player parallels from the glory days of the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. So, Lucas, you want to start us off? Who's your 2000s Minnesota Timberwolves player parallel? I would love to kick this one off. I am going with the very popular 
very fan favorite, Brian Cardinal. Yes. For those of you that don't know, the few of you out there, he played power forward for the Wolves from 2008 to 2010. And this is a guy who just knows his role. Very similar to my last player parallel, Bill Kappelman is a backup. He's not, nothing flashy. He's not going to hurt you. He's not really going to help you. I think we're seeing a trend here. That's kind of me. Um, not, you know, comes off the bench, not a starter in all 93 games. He played with the wolves. He only started four of them. He started only 37 games in his entire 456 game career. So me, I just wasn't a starter as well. Um, and like I said, he's nothing flashy. He's only going to get you two rebounds, four points per game. Those were his averages. And he only took 2.2 shots with the wolves, 2.2 field goals a game. Uh, so me, I know my limits. I'm not going to push it. I'm going to get my rebound. I'm going to get my assist, maybe score a basket every couple of games. That's me. Also, some might say he's a little bit undersized at only six, eight being a power forward. Back in my my basketball days, my very brief career, uh, in middle school and elementary school, I was one of the quote-unquote taller kids on the team. I wasn't really tall at all. Um, so I was just... Or group. I was, <laughs> I was just the second tallest on the team, so I had, to play the, <laughs> I had to play the forward position. Just didn't work out really well for me. Had nothing to do with other skills no, of yours, right? Nothing. Just the yeah. height thing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, I was maybe a little undersized, just like him, a little chunky back then, uh, maybe more than a little chunky, well fed. And I had a nice short buzz cut, uh, just like, just like Brian has this beautiful, I, I mean, he's pretty much bald, right? But I mean, we'll call it a buzz, give him a little benefit of the doubt here. And honestly, my favorite thing about this guy, if you're undersized and you're playing forward, playing down low, what do you do? You get gritty. His nicknames, the custodian, the janitor, and citizen pain. Oh. This guy. And as I mentioned, I wasn't very good. As you guys know, I like to be a presence down low back in intramurals. What's under the tree? <laughs> presence. This guy is just like me. He is a hack because he's not very good. So he Averaged only two personal fouls a game, which might not seem like a lot, but he's only playing 12 or 13 minutes. That's what he's averaging. So he's going in, he's playing physical, he's playing hard, he's getting his rebound, he's getting out of there. And last but not least, he's a pretty decent shooter for a big man from beyond the arc. He has a 37.2% career three-point percentage. Carl Anthony Towns, just under 40%, and he is now the leading Timberwolves, what a comp! Three point, <laughs> three point shooter, right? So watch out, pretty Carl. Much, yeah, pretty much. Where I'm going with this is, I like to think that I could step behind the arc and light it up a little bit, let it rip from deep. Um, so you know, all in all, I think I'm pretty much a spitting image of Brian Cardinal. Thank you. Couple of things. Last week you went from Jim Tomey to Josh Willingham, an absurd comparison. And now we've got Brian Cardinal and Carl Anthony Towns. The numbers don't lie. <laughs> Second of all, you say you weren't a starter, but if I remember correctly, uh, you played a critical starting role on the Aquafina Wet Boys, former three on three intramural <laughs> champions at Gustavus Adolphus College. I think I was forced into that role, but you know. Brian did start a couple games, as I did mention, 37 over his career. For me, I think the telltale sign would be to watch a video of the guy's uh, arc when shooting. Because if there's one thing I know about Lou's shot is if it ever gets above the rim, which there's question if it does, just. it is just above the rim. So I'd like to see this guy's kind of arc. If he's like, you know, if he's just throwing BBs at it, I know it's Lou's, Lou's spirit animal. Yeah, you've got that Rubio-esque uh, arc on your shot. I will, I will attest to Citizen Payne uh, as a very good comp for you because one of the harder followers I've ever played with. <laughs> and I loved it. You were on my team. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you only get five. Better earn them. You're gonna, yeah, you're going to earn those two points at the line. That's for <laughs> damn sure. Citizen Payne's one of the great nicknames ever. That. That is I mean, 
the janitor and the custodian also like good nicknames for him cleaning up down low but more likely i was thinking about it probably because of his mop-up duty that he was he was playing at the end of games and in blowouts so <laughs> yeah i'm thinking there's a chance that that those roles were also filled into his contract to make sure you earned all of his money as well Mike, you want to go next uh, yeah, I'll give it a run. Uh, my guy, he played for the actually, first of all, just like listen, like the 2010s are, or the 20, the 2000s are a very funny era in Timberwolves basketball because it's the lightest light and it's the darkest dark <laughs> starts in, in the 2000s because you go from the highest highs of 2004 Western Conference Finals, KG, big ticket. Um, then the trade happens. Then he wins with Boston and it's just gross there. Like that was the start of just the darkest time in my life. I don't know. Um, we don't have to get too far. Okay. Yet. You want to talk about it? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> We're hitting it serious today. I'll be okay, guys. I'll be okay. Uh, I've, you know, I've been seeing somebody about this. We talk about the wolves a lot. Um, no, but my guy, he's, he's made three stints with the wolves, but his first was, and this was somebody that I think people were pretty excited about when he got there. Um, which is kind of like me. It's that idea of you're like, oh, he's coming. He's, he's a good time. Uh, and then I get there and you're like, well, he's not as good as I thought he was, but it's all right. And that guy is Corey Brewer. <laughs> and if you know my body type, we're, we're similar in different ways, Corey Brewer and I. The dude is six foot nine listed. So you know he might be a little bit taller than six foot nine. Um, he, or actually, he might be a little shorter. It doesn't matter. He's six foot nine, but I swear to you, he weighs one thirty. He weighs a buck thirty-five after a meal. The guy is all skin and bones, a hundred percent, just the thin man out there. Um, and the interesting thing about him is that his playing style, his skill set, really would have been better suited for a like a center or a four. He isn't very good with the ball. He doesn't shoot very well. His career three-point percentage, even though he thought he was a three-point shooter, which I think I'm a three-point shooter and I'm broke as they come, was under 30%. So to find out that Corey Brewer had a worse career shooting percentage from three than Brian Cardinal was a surprise I wasn't expecting today, but it was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and that's me. It's like I will literally post up in the corner or at the top of the arc and clap my hands and wait for the ball like, hit me, I'm open. And there's a reason I'm always open. It's because I don't make any of those shots. And the defense has figured that out after watching my first shot in warmups. They're like, okay, leave that guy open. He's not hitting anything. And I'm like, hey, if you're open, you got to shoot. And I was open a lot. Volume shoot. You could, some of them are going to go in. And apparently it's not that many. So Corey Brew and I, we love to shoot. Um, so me, body type, uh, I'm short. And I've been short kind of my whole life. Um, you know, I'm not that Ish. short now. If, if anybody's wondering, you know, I'm 5'10 and three quarters, almost 5'11. So it's above average at this point. Um, Ladies. But I always played kind of a, the little man role. They had me playing point guard when I was growing up. But I have absolutely no handles. Like my ball handling ability is atrocious. And my court vision is not very good either. Um, and Corey Brewer's nickname, as we're getting into nicknames, the drunken dribbler that is Corey Brewer's that. Nickname, the drunken dribbler because he had the loosest of loose handles in the nba like the dude dribbled the ball 12 feet away from his body somehow and like it, it was always like half the time it's going to go off his own foot the other half the time it's just going to go into the other like the other team doesn't even have to attempt to make a steal he's just going to give it to them and that was kind of my dribbling skills but I was pretty good in the post. I was just too small. So like similar to Corey Brewer, he had the size in terms of height. He was too thin to bang down low. I was too short to bang down low, but I love getting in the post a little bit, mixing it up. Um, so we just were both better suited to be inside the arc, but we both played outside the arc. And the other thing about Corey Brewer is he likes to get a little uh, fancy with the footwork as in he likes to take way too many fucking steps and travels all the time, which I love to do. And then argue with refs. Like if you thought that James Harden was pushing the issue on taking too many steps, extending that second step into a third step into a fourth step. If anybody remembers that highlight of Corey Brewer on the fast break where he took 15 steps, he caught the ball at half court and didn't dribble and dunked. If you, if you want to do the counting there and he took a couple stutters cause he liked to, you know, high flyer kind of like me there too. Um, 
So, and I like to do the whole, like, I'm going to do the Euro step with the high step and a jump stop at the end. And it kind of equates out to six steps. I get called for the travel turnaround. I'm like, ref, how old are you? There's three steps now. Two steps is ancient. And he's like, yeah, you took seven. I'll give you three, but you don't get seven. Um, so Corey Brewer loved to do that. So did I. It's, it's fun. You know, you got to get a little flexible with the math, with the steps. You can't just be so rigid to the rules because where's the fun in that? Third thing with Corey Brewer. He had that one game where he scored 50, you know, he had that one thing, he had that one game where he scored 52, came out of nowhere. People and I forget. Guess, what? guess what? Every once in a while, I'll surprise you because I am a volume shooter, as Kern mentioned. So I will be out there taking those shots. And if it's my night and I get a couple of rolls, you don't know what's going to happen. I might be putting up even 18, a blind girl, 19, squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Hell, I might even score 20. And if I score 20, you know, I'm posting on the Insta story. Got that 20 bag, baby. Um, and the last thing with Corey Brewer is he was a total cherry picker, which I love. That was the exact style of basketball that I played is like, don't really crash that hard for a rebound. Like he's six foot nine. He averaged like under three rebounds in his whole career. Under two, under two. That's awful from Corey Brewer. Like you got to get more rebounds. But the reason is he was leaking. He's leaking on the fast break. He's getting it going. And that's what I like to do because it's easy <laughs> buckets. Those layups, you get the finger roll right at the top. You feel like, okay, hey, on a good day, I was throwing that down, but I'm just going to finger roll on you today. Um, so Corey Brewer is, he's an all-timer. Um, he wore the headband. I love to wear a headband. It's a great look. Uh, and those baggy shorts that he wore when he first came in were incredible. I just love Corey Brewer. I miss him. I wish we could get him for a fourth time. Hey, maybe that's the trade we make this year. <laughs> Run it back. Uh, I got a couple points on this. Uh, one, I agree with you. Headbands are great. I love headbands. I think they, they are an awesome part of basketball. So huge fan of that. Second, don't think I didn't notice the Ricky Bobby quote you slid in there with like uh, 17, 18, 19. Hell, I might even score 20. Where he's uh, talking about, I mean, first there's last. You get second, third, hell, you fifth. Um, and then finally, there's a little connection there that I don't even know if you knew about, but he's actually from Portland, Tennessee, which is also a place called Town Portland. Down. And Isaiah has a connection to Portland, Oregon. So that's kind of my three points. Truly a great physical comparison. I mean, if you shrunk Corey Brewer down to five, ten, and three quarters, yeah. I might confuse him for Isaiah Welkley. I don't know. Very similar ankles. I'll say that. Slim and slender. Uh, some, some prefer the term athletic from the knee down. Um, <laughs> actually, from the knee up, too. Got pretty thin thighs as well. I'll hop in next. Uh, so I've got another... Uh, I've got a nondescript white guy who played with the, the Wolves for a couple seasons. I'm going with the mayor, Freddie Hoiberg. Finished his career with the Wolves, 0304 and 0405. Quick physical comparison. He had to retire early because of a heart issue, and heart issues run rampant through the uh, the Dalton Madsen family tree. So, I think I think we've got a little bit. We're like under the skin as well. Low sodium diet. But yeah, I mean, what's not to like about old Fred Hoiberg? Played two seasons with the Wolves. His last season with the Wolves, he led the NBA in three-point percentage. And, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I'm a heck of a three-point shooter. So. Heck of a... <laughs> <laughs> but, no, really, he and I, we don't do much other than take threes. He had several seasons where he took more three-pointers than two-pointers, and that was before the three-point craze had really taken over the NBA. So that's a commitment to your craft. You stay outside the three-point arc, you catch, you shoot, you dribble maybe once or twice, mix in a pump fake. And that's really all you need. Other than that, Fred really didn't do a whole lot. He kept his uh, career rebound per game under three assists, one and a half. Yep, worked <laughs> hard to keep it under. Nice work, Freddie. <laughs> he did. I mean, 6'4", it's decent size. <laughs> and then, yeah, very few steals, very few blocks, but also only half a turnover per game and only one foul. So you just kind of stay out of everyone's way just kind of fade into the background and then boom, catch and shoot corner three, come off the wing, boom, bang another one. couple threes here and there. And before the game, you're like, dang, that guy's got like 40 points. That's how you get like a sneaky 35. And you're like, wait, what? I didn't even, how many minutes does this guy play? 
Like you wouldn't have seen him unless you were just watching the corner. Matson for three. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> what we're what we're finding out here today is it's a given. This is pro analytics, pro uh, pro alliteration, and now pro three point <laughs> hucking up three pointers podcast. So the more it's, the merrier. Simple addition is three more than two. That's all you need to know. Simple as that. I will say this: Fred Hoiberg was to be, uh, he was he was supposed to be Steve Kerr to Michael Jordan. It was supposed to be Fred Hoiberg to Kevin Garnett. You know, he was supposed to be, you know, that kind of synergy there. And in another life, maybe you know, it could have worked out. Wally Zerbiak stole all of his his time in the limelight. Damn you, Wally! Freaking shame. Fred and Wally, though, a couple of couple of old school names there. Okay, so I'll say this in terms of uh, I love this comp because it's so accurate. Uh, if anybody didn't know, the four of us used to play a lot of two-on-two basketball. It would be Connor and Dalton first, Lucas and myself. And Dalton, we all knew he was shooting every time. You knew he was going to shoot a three, and you it was like if he came inside the paint, you'd be like, "Buddy, are you lost? Do you need a map? Have you ever been here before?" But the pump fake is so accurate because he could get the shot going. It was like, you, I knew he was shooting a three. Lou knew he was shooting a three. Kern knew he was shooting a three. <laughs> Dalton knew he was shooting a three. And he did this lazy little pump fake, and Lou and I would both bite, and then he'd reset, hit the three. And I see that from Fred Hoiberg. Like, I think that is so accurate. <laughs> Rather die than hit a layup. All right. Well, uh, that brings it to me. Uh, my player comparison is someone that I hardly even remembered before uh, investigating this a little bit. Ryan Gomes is the player. So Ryan Gomes was a power forward for the Wolves from 2007 to 2010. So I actually rubbed shoulders a bit with, uh, with Lou's guy. So good to see a fellow teammate on the pod. Um, one thing about him is like he was really not too special anywhere. Like his shoot, his kind of background is like, he was like a 40% shooter from, you know, inside the arc, 36 from behind the arc. So he's okay. Um, grabbed like five boards a game. But the thing about him is he played a lot. Like he got into, for the Wolves, four seasons, got in 82 games twice and above 72 in all four seasons. But uh, to kind of dive into it a little bit, Gomes is just the type of guy that when you give him a wide open three, he's probably going to hit about 50% of them, right? And honestly, I think that's pretty similar to me. I could have no one else on the court. I might hit like 50% of threes, put a hand in my face, 3%. Like I'm not shooting with anyone near me. And uh, and so that's one similarity in our game. Um, he's also a guy that he honestly is usually involved in big plays, like kind of down the road, end of the game. And you might be thinking like, how does that even relate at all to you if you see me play basketball? But the reason is because he's usually setting a pick to get the guy open. And so as Isaiah was saying, Dalton was kind of the shooter on our team, uh, on the rural kids team versus the city kids. And our game was pretty much completely pick and roll. Like I, Dalton took the ball at the top of the key. I set a pick. Dalton like stepped back five feet, threw up a three from the logo, went in like half the time. And if it didn't, then the next time we go pick, I'll roll off. Maybe we get the switch. Who knows? But basically, in my opinion, the pick and roll, if you are an average to below average, more below average to horrible basketball player, that's your best bet of getting useful time in the game. You just get in there, kind of cause chaos and create space. And that's what, something that I felt that I did pretty well. And Gomes did a little bit as well in his career. Now, as far as offensive creation skills go, we're basically the same guy. He averages about one and a half assists per game. For me, I'm a guy that's swinging the ball around the arc. Like if I'm running fives, I might cut a little bit, but even if I get the ball in the cut, I'm swinging it back out. And I think I would have had really good stats playing like five pickups if the NBA went to more of a hockey system and gave second assists. Cause I had a ton of second assists, like the pass to the good pass. And Gomes is kind of similar. He would like get the ball out to somebody. Then they cover him. That guy swings it over. A guy bangs a three. He gets nothing from the possession, but you know what? He was creating offense. So um, a third point is he was actually a pitcher in high school. So, and oh. a pretty damn good one. 
the only difference there in our games is that he posted a 0.031 ERA in high school, which is insane. And uh, yeah, let's just say we're more similar in basketball than we are in baseball for that reason. Um, so that's just another comparison. We're, we have better basketball comparisons than we do uh, baseball. Uh, another fun thing about him is he was involved in the KG trade. He was actually one of the pieces that came back to Minnesota as part of the KG trade. And I have long said, I would, if I was ever a professional athlete, my goal would be to be involved in a blockbuster trade. I think being the guy that gets sent back in baseball, more than anything where you're like the minor leaguer that gets sent back, you know, a guy named later Exactly. that's what I want. And that's what later. (laughs) And then finally, I, I thought it was it was funny that he was like consistently re- referred to as versatile. And I think versatile is a universal term for a guy that does nothing well or does nothing like good. Everything's okay. Like he just, you know, is he a good rebounder? He's all right. Can he shoot a little bit, you know? And I think that sums up my game on the hardwood or hardwood really well is a guy that just he's there. He'll probably be on time. He's not going to leave early, but everything in between is just going to be pretty average. Who who knew that Dalton and Connor were running like a modern NBA system in our two on two? Like they had perfected the two man game and would just hit threes and take layups. Like that was it. Connor would get down low. He would get the switch he wanted me and he would body me down low or Dalton would shoot the three off the pick and roll. I mean, you guys were trendsetters. I mean, it was the core yeah. to the Aquafina Wet Boys. Two-time intramural J-term true. champion. That's not true. Redacted. <laughs> we lost that one year in the championship. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it, though. At least one. <laughs> One-time champion of three-on-three intramural. Look, man, hard to repeat. It's not a repeat league. There's a great turnover in that intramural league people forget about. Too much parody. All right, last thing for this week. Who do we have taking home the bracket, the big dance? I've got Bama. Well, we're recording this at the start of the second half. Illinois is down nine to Loyola in the battle for Illinois. Uh, And that is my champion, the fighting Illini. So (laughs) this may age very poorly. It's not my Kansas. It's not their Kansas. It's our Kansas. And uh, that's just a fun way to say Arkansas. Um, Arkansas is my team. Kind of a sleeper. Musselman's the coach who's got a ton of Minnesota connections. So if you're listening, feel free to uh, leave Arkansas after the season and come up north. But I got, I got Arkansas going the table. It's tough to go against Gonzaga, I will say that much. But Arkansas, baby, let's do it. Razorback. Pig suey or whatever they do before the football games. If I knew that right now, I'd say it so bad. But suey, suey. I'll just throw mine in the ring too. I'm gonna go with the quack quack. Taking home the title. Cool. Well, that was fun. That does it for this week. The Mini Market Pod presented by Tellum Sports. We'll see you next week. Later. Peace. Bye. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.